Good. Well, we're into um, part of the uh, story of Exodus, the book of Exodus. We're in an epic, epic section. Films have been made, at least three or four attempts have been made to depict these, uh, uh, this account here. I kind of think it's better to forget all about them because <laughs> I think what, what we want to do really is follow through God's word. We're thinking about the uh, subject of um, the king, the gods, and the Lord. And it's uh, to be found, you can find it in uh, Exodus chapter 6. We're going to be starting, and that's on page 62 in these Bibles. Um, I really would like to encourage you to have a Bible open, uh, because we're going to be kind of in the text and all all the way through, really. And uh, it's an amazing, uh, I can't, I haven't got time to read all these chapters, but we'll be kind of in there uh, going through them. This whole series, you may remember, um, or, or if you don't, that's okay, uh, it, uh, it's all about getting to know God. We're joining the whole story of God's involvement in history, uh, in, in, in working out his purposes. In the Bible's account, uh, very early on, back in the Old Testament, we're about between 1,400 and 1,500 years before Jesus came. It's a very old and kind of ancient account, uh, but it is a remarkable one. It's crucial for us as Christians. It's also crucial for the, it's part of the Jewish Old Testament as well. It's uh, These events defined what Israel became. And uh, actually, as we shall see next week in particular, uh, they, they shape what, what we are as God's people too. Um, you remember the Israelites are in Egypt. They've been there uh, since Joseph came. Uh, they were there for centuries, 400 years or so. They were oppressed, as we've heard. They were slaves, but they had not completely forgotten God. And he certainly hadn't forgotten them. And we've been looking at how Moses, this man, uh, meets with God, who discovers, is introduced to the Lord, the God of his ancestors. And is told that this living Lord, this Lord who's kind of entering into history in a particular way in this era and at this time, wants to, 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 to meet with him. And he introduces himself to Moses to start with and then to this whole community of people who are going to kind of go with him. He's inviting them to go with him. Moses is to be the man to bring them out of Egypt to meet God and begin a new life with him. This whole community are kind of going back to their roots, back to the land God promised them. That's to come uh, in the second half of Exodus. But there's just one problem. Uh, with all this great talk of the possible future and the rescue, they're slaves in Egypt. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the government in Egypt, isn't very keen to let them go. And Moses, as we heard last week, comes with the Lord's word, with this new revelation of their God. And Pharaoh says, well, I've never heard of him. Who is the Lord and why should I I, I obey him? Which was a bit disappointing for Moses, who had the thought that he was going to go down there and everything will be fine straight away. And the Pharaoh says, sorry, um, there's only one God around here. Uh, and that's me, says Pharaoh, because as we shall see, he considered himself, indeed the whole of his Egyptian culture, the government, him, was God, period. That was it. There was no other. He was in charge. Thanks very much. 
And Moses comes back to God, as we saw, and says to God at the end of chapter 5, I don't understand it, it's all got worse. I did what you told me to do, and what's happening? And then as we saw last week, God speaks to him again and says to him, I am the Lord. I'm going to reveal who I really am to you, and I want you to share this with the Israelites. And we talked about this new uh, name that appears, the name Yahweh, as we sometimes call it. Lou, Lou used the Hebrew, actually the correct translation, pronunciation I checked in the week, Yahweh, or something like that. I, I'd rather go with Yahweh, it's easier to say. But anyway, this name, the Lord, this God who's revealing himself, who's speaking, and who's acting. And uh, just as we look in in chapter 6 on page 62, uh, here's a little bit about previously in Exodus. There it is, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand. He will let them go because of my mighty hand. He will drive them out of this country. And God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. Look in that passage for all the number of times and throughout this account, how many times God says, I am the Lord. It's me. I'm the living God. This is what I'm like. If you want to get to know me, this is the one you need to deal with. I am the Lord. And he goes on to say that he is the Lord who's going to do something, doesn't he? I'm the Lord. I'm going to work with my mighty hand, he says twice. We just read it. It's all about the Lord who's going to do something. And then Moses gets, goes back with a message uh, to Pharaoh. Well, well, let's go back to verse 6 to start with. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession because I am the Lord. It's all about the Lord, who he is, what he's going to do. But unfortunately, the Israelites don't listen, do they? Verse 9, he goes and reports it to the Israelites, but they did not listen because of their discouragement and harsh labor. But that doesn't affect anything. That doesn't stop God working or God from keeping his promises. So if we go over to uh, the other page on page 63, And to verse 28 of chapter 6. Let's read what happens next. There's a little reference back. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. There it is again. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions My people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. There's going to be judgment, says God. The Egyptians, he said, I want the Egyptians to know 
than I am the Lord. He says to Moses, don't worry. This is not between you and Pharaoh. See that? He says, I will make you like God to Pharaoh. He's saying, look, Moses, in all this interaction, this is between Pharaoh, the government, and me, the Lord. It's not about you, Moses. Don't worry about that. We're into a different league here. Something big is happening. The living God and the government. Interesting, isn't it? The Lord is in the forefront. This little section here is like the overture. You know, when you, you go to a, you know, a, 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 piece of, you know, a piece of music, classical music, you have the overture of a, a series of, of things. I suppose I think about, you know, the, you know, like an opera or something. In the overture, you get little glimpses of the whole thing that's going to come, don't you? And, uh, you know, little themes pop in in the overture, just like references to them. Um, but for a bizarre reason that I don't really want to confess to you, I can only think of Gilbert and Sullivan things at the moment. I don't know why, but they're in my head. Uh, partly because I used to know them quite well when I was a teenager. What a strange teenager I was, but that's another story. <laughs> anyway, uh, they, 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 you know, an overture to you know, one of the Mikado or one of those. It's got like bits of the songs all, all through it. And, and, and this, is, this is like that. This is the overture. The themes that are going to come up are here. So stuff about, um, I'm going to act in judgment, says God. And this thing about Pharaoh's heart. God says, I'm going to harden his heart. Now we'll see, we're going to track that through. God isn't saying that I've hardened his heart now. He's saying that's going to be something that's coming up. Watch out for it. See, it's like the kind of overture here. And then uh, what happens next? Well, let's go on. In verse 8, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff, that's the the shepherd's staff or the kind of walking kind of big stick, and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. And so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. This is a bit like the prelude, if you like. This is before that kind of action starts. We've had the overture. Now there's a little bit of a a kind of introductory incident. And it's with this stick, this staff. And it's all about snakes. Now, have any of you seen uh, pictures of like Tutankhamun and, uh, you know, traditional looking Egyptians? If you ever notice what they have around their head on the headdress? A snake, a cobra. You see, Ra or, or, or Re or Ray, don't quite know, you know, whether it's a Ray, Ra or Re, but anyway, same kind of thing. The sun god was their chief god. And when he the story was when he came into like the human world, he became a snake. And so this isn't just a magic trick. This is a snake that the rod becomes a snake, the magician's rods become snakes, and their snake, Aaron and Moses' snake eats up all of the others. It's a picture. There's a battle coming between the gods of Egypt and the Lord. 
And there's only going to be one winner. It's the Lord. That's what the message is. Let's read on. Let's go to, um, where are we? Uh, Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent, uh, sorry, then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to you. Let my people go so they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this, you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into the blood. The fish in the Nile will die. The river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. Let me tell you about happy. Ever heard of happy? Not Mr. Happy or happy or kind of puppy, but happy, one of the gods of Egypt. The Egyptian god of the Nile. One of their key gods. The Lord tells Moses to confront Pharaoh on the bank of the Nile. He went there every day. Why did he go there? We don't know. Would, would it be possibly to do his worship to happy on that day? Hoping for a happy day? so to speak. Terrible joke, sorry. And God says, if you don't let my people go, the Nile's going to become blood. So much for your God happy. And that, of course, is what happens. By this, says God, you will know that I am the Lord. This is the agenda. God says, I want Egypt to know that I am the Lord. And he wants Egypt to know that I am the Lord, not necessarily just by these terrible signs. He wants Egypt to know that I am the Lord because he wants his people to go, as we will see. But there's a confrontation going on because it says in verse 13 and in verse 7, so, uh, that, that Pharaoh's heart is hard. And it goes on. Let's go from chapter 8, verse 1. Seven days later, so the Nile becomes blood. Nobody can drink anything from it and so on. You know the story. All the films are quite good at depicting it. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses in chapter 8, page 64, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom, onto your bed and so on. Horrendous. So that's, let's think about Heket. Heket was one of the Egyptian fertility gods. She had a frog's head and a woman's body. Now there's frogs everywhere. Pharaoh recognizes the need for him to be prayed for. Verse 8. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said, Moses replied, it will be as you say. 
that you may know there will, that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. And after Moses left Pharaoh, he cried to the Lord about the frogs and so on. And in verse 14, they are piled into heaps. The land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord has said. Pharaoh recognizes the Lord can be prayed to. And Moses says to him, look, I want you to know that when these frogs go, it's because the Lord has done it. And why is that? Because the Lord wants you to know, I am the Lord. There's no one like the Lord our God. Does it make a difference to Pharaoh? Well, he says, yeah, okay, they can go. And then in verse 15, it says, now this is interesting. It says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. This is why his heart has hard so far. He's hardening it. He doesn't want the Lord. He doesn't want to do what the Lord says. Why why should he? He's got his gods. Why should he take any notice of the Lord? He's the government. And uh, you will see as it goes through, he starts trying to negotiate with them. It's okay. He might even consider it on his terms. But on the Lord's terms, oh no. Anyway, then as you read it through, you come, then comes the plague of gnats in chapter uh, 8, verse 16. And if you look down to first, uh, second half of verse uh, 18, down the, the middle of the page there, it says, since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen, just as the Lord said. The gnats, even the magicians see that this is God at work. But Pharaoh, no, I don't want this Lord shoving me around. I'm the boss here. This is my government. These people, they've been here 400 years. I'm not letting them go. I don't care who the Lord is or what he says. It's kind of his agenda. And then come flies. In the next bit, that's down there on the heading. But as the flies come, there's something else new happens. Look at uh, verse 22. God says, uh, and he tells Moses, I think to tell Pharaoh, but on that day when the flies come, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this again. Now God is saying, I'm going to keep my, I'm going to, there's a safe haven here. Its judgment is coming on Egypt, but where my people are, this land of Goshen, it won't come. And uh, why does he tell Pharaoh that? Why? What's the agenda? So that Pharaoh will know, I am the Lord. And these are my people. And my people are your, you know, you've got my people in slavery. And I've got my people. That's what he's saying. Hello? Sounds like someone's uh, uh, happening. Something's happening. And then in verse 30, then, um, where am I? I've got to get to it. Then come that yeah I've got where we got to we got gnats we've got flies now look at verse um, uh, yeah then uh, sorry I'm need to then we go to chapter nine then comes another plague basically the same things happened 
happens after the flies. In there, in verse 30, it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Okay, that's a key thing. You're probably getting used to this by now. And then there's this plague on the livestock. Um, In chapter 9, page 65, there's a plague on your livestock, your horses, your donkeys, your cattle. In particular, the cattle are highlighted The Egyptians, some of the Egyptians' fertility gods had uh, cow's heads or bull's heads. Again, it's a very clear message. I am the Lord. There's only one Lord, Pharaoh. It's me. Are you going to deal with it or not? And Pharaoh hardens his heart. Then let's go over the page to page 66. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and let Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace. Actually, that's possibly a brick kiln. Interesting. What were the Israelites doing? Making bricks. Just a little sideline there. They took soot from a furnace, uh, possibly a brick kiln could, could mean, stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air and festering boils broke out on people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and not all the Egyptians. Now, verse 12. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen. Sekhmet was the Egyptian goddess of plagues. When there was a horrible disease or pestilence, when people got particularly sick with nasty stuff, they would look to Sekhmet to heal them. So the the Lord allows them to suffer with boils. And they're so bad that even the magicians, you know, the high priests, have to go on sick leave because of it. Everyone gets boils. And then verse 12, this is different now. Remember God said earlier, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. This is where it happens, verse 12. The Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. Up until now, it had been Pharaoh's choice. He could have let them go. He could have acknowledged the Lord. We don't know what would have happened. But he doesn't and he hasn't. His heart was hard because that's what he wanted it to be. Now, chillingly, the Lord gives him what he wants. That's a chilling thing. Ponder that. Then in verse 13, the next plague is hail. Uh, The Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh. This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says and so on. Again, look at verse 14. So you may know that there is no one like me in the earth. Again, here's the purpose. He goes on to say in verse 14. Well, first, sorry, let's read verse 13. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up. Actually, the word there could mean I've spared you. For this very purpose, that I might show you my power, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God is saying, there's a reason I'm delaying everything. I could have wiped, I could have done the whole thing on day one. But I want, 
I'm delaying. I want people to know what I'm like. I want the world to know. And I'm using your resistance, Pharaoh, for my greater purposes. It's God's sovereignty. That's what happened. He will take our choices and he will weave his greater glory into it. But his agenda is that the whole earth will know that he's the Lord. That's his heart. He's not just concerned about the Israelites. He is. They're his people. But the Israelites, the point of their being his people was that the whole earth would know. And God says to Pharaoh, that's what I want. I want the whole earth to know. And so there's hail. Then it seems that uh, Pharaoh uh, comes back again and, and kind of says in verse 27, comes back and this time says, I've sinned. Look at this, Pharaoh summoned the Egypt because the, the hail comes, everything gets destroyed. Although interestingly in verse 20 at the top of the page there, you notice that the officials of Pharaoh who fear the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Some Egyptians are beginning to see that he is the Lord and acting accordingly. Hold that thought. It's quite interesting. And then Pharaoh comes back in verse 27, and uh, I won't, time is rushing on, so I won't read it, but uh, you'll see that Pharaoh says, I've sinned. He says, the Lord's in the right, and I and my people in the wrong. Please pray, you know, because I, 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 you know, I don't want you to stay any longer. And the same thing happens, although this time in verse 29, Moses actually says to him, the thunder will stop and there'll be no more hell. Why? Why? So you may know that the earth is the Lord's. God's the creator. The earth is his. You see, they had this God called Nut. He was the, or she, I don't know which gender they were, was the sky God. They they looked after hail and weather and rain and winds and stuff. Here again, is it Nut or is it the Lord? Is it Pharaoh or is it the Lord? It's a pretty kind of strong message. But verse 34, again, is interesting because if you read it, Pharaoh, when he saw that the rain and the thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened his, their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was, heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go. So it's interesting. It seems like there it doesn't say the Lord hardened his heart. It almost seems as if the Lord kind of lifted his hand from Pharaoh's heart and gives Pharaoh a final chance. And it looks like Pharaoh's saying, oh, yeah, I've sinned. I'm in the wrong. Yeah, Lord, I, I'm really sorry about that. And then so Moses says, okay. And then as soon as he gets what he wants, he, he hardens his heart. That's the last time we read that Pharaoh hardens his heart. The rest of the time, the Lord, it says, is hardening his heart. And next come the locusts. And as the locusts come in chapter 10, we see that the Lord wants his people to know for generations that he is the Lord because he performs signs. You see that in the beginning of chapter 10. And then there's this east wind that brings the locusts because, you know, nuts, no good. (laughs) The east wind, free east wind, a whole load of locusts come in, you know, because the Lord is the Lord and he won't take rivals. And then it goes on. 
The next plague in verse 21, the Egyptian god, as I said, in the heavens, the chief god was Ra or Re, the sun god. And Pharaoh was actually his equivalent. So basically Ra, Ra kind of ruled the heavens and Pharaoh ruled the earth. That was the kind of theology behind it. And so, of course, and they thought that Ra kind of was like that the god got into his celestial sailboat and sailed across the heavens and then went down into the underworld, defeated evil and came up the next day. Okay, that was their idea. Except for three days, Ra didn't show up again. There's darkness, apart from in the land of Goshen, of course, where the Israelites were. You can read that in the, in the thing. And then finally in chapter 11... We have warning of one more plague. The Lord says in chapter 11, he goes on, you will see at the end of chapter 10, now it's the Lord who has hardened his heart. It's just like Pharaoh's had one last chance. He hardens his heart, he says no, and then from then on, it's set. Judgment is coming. And chapter 11 begins to tell us what that terrible, terrible judgment will be. God says to, to tell Pharaoh, I will bring one more plague on Egypt and Pharaoh. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Verse 4, so Moses said, uh, Moses said, that's what Moses then says to Pharaoh. This is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the one of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. It's a terrible, terrible distinction. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And in the end, Moses leaves one last time. We'll talk about that next week. I am the Lord, says the Lord. (laughs) No, says Pharaoh. Oh, you're not the Lord. I don't want you. I don't want you shoving me around. I'm the government. Don't try and tell me what to do with the people uh, I've got in my army of slaves. Get out of here. No one tells me what to do. I'm the Lord, says the Lord. No, you're not, says Pharaoh. And he keeps saying it as each of his precious places of security are taken away. The Nile for the life. The great environment ruled over by his gods. But then the creator, who really is in charge, shows up. And it all goes wild. Frogs everywhere, gnats all over the place, flies, livestock, boils. And then even the weather goes out of control control as there's hail, an east wing that brings uh, locusts, there's darkness. I am the Lord, says uh, the Lord to Pharaoh. Listen to me, I am the Lord. No, says Pharaoh, no, 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 until he can't say yes. It's a terrible story, isn't it? But isn't it extraordinary the lengths we will go to hold on to our independence from God? Our right to rule our own destinies. The things we put our trust and our hope in. What a sad story. Wish I could say they all lived happily ever after. But I can't. Finally, let's let's pull out a few overall points so we've been through this story do go home and read it it's it's a cracking story it's exciting maybe some of you have that's a good thing about having it if i get boring then you can read the story and see how exciting it is three things so what is this lord that we're getting to know like what is this telling us 
He is the Lord. First thing, he's involved. This is an account of the Lord being involved in the world. He's made big time. His power as creator is all over this account. He is the one with the last word in his creation. That's something important for us to learn, isn't it? Even though we're wrecking it and we should be responsible to restore the damage we're making. But if we think we rule creation, we're wrong. The Lord does. I'd say that we must be responsible. We're responsible stewards. But, you know, it's quite interesting that modern people, we kind of think everything's fine until the wind blows a bit harder <laughs> or, you know, there's a few more inches of rain. Oops, maybe we're not so, so in control as we thought we were. He intervenes. He can and he does. He's the sovereign Lord who has a plan to restore the damage of our sin and rebellion against him. And Israel's history was the beginning of this plan unfolding. And it will culminate in the arrival of Jesus and all he does. And nothing is going to stop God's purposes to rescue. He is involved. I think that's great. And he intervenes at particular points in a big way. Exodus is one of them. And there are other times, that's what the Bible gives us, is the account of other times when God intervenes miraculously, remarkably, because he is the Lord. Of course, he supremely intervenes when he himself comes to our world as Jesus comes. And there's going to be a total intervention one day. When he will return, Jesus will return, and everyone will know that he is the Lord. Nothing is going to stop him. But he can intervene in other ways too. We live in the time of the arrival of the king. Jesus has come. We're living in the age of God's kind of reigning king, although it's yet to be fully fulfilled. But our lives are in his hands. He is our king, as we were singing. And I thought it was great as we sang that children's song, which has all that stuff about lots of the things we've seen in Exodus are in that song, actually. You know, things like the waves and the demons and the spiritual conflict, all of that. It was all there in the life of Jesus. He comes and he brings his kingship. And although he uh, has yet to kind of complete it, in in our lives he's working. That's why we pray. Because he's the Lord and he's involved. So the Lord gets involved. He works out his purposes. But he takes the choices we make very seriously indeed. Surely Pharaoh's story tells us that if nothing else. And that's why there will be, sadly, many people like Pharaoh who will be exiled from him forever, for eternity. Because that's what they've chosen. And the Lord treats us with dignity. He confirms the choices we make. He will never overrule our free choice. He didn't overrule Pharaoh. He didn't actually make Pharaoh... uh, disobey at the beginning he just he used it for his purposes and in the end pharaoh's heart was hardened by the lord see love doesn't work by overruling free choices does it you can't you know make someone love you it's not love is that any different with God and us? He's the Lord. He's involved. Linked to the truth of that is, I'm going to be really quick. He is undefeatable. This story of the showdown between Pharaoh and the Lord, the gods of Egypt cannot stand against him. And let me tell you this, the gods of our culture cannot prevail against him 
either. They are nothing compared to the Lord. He will be vindicated. He will be seen to be the Lord. The stuff we rely on will crumble and fall. But the Lord is the Lord. Don't pick a fight with the Lord. It's a waste of time. He will win, ultimately, as Pharaoh found out. He will complete what he started. And it's interesting that if you look into the revelation and the end of the world and when Jesus returns and all of that, there's a lot about creation. God intervening in creation in different ways then, but that's another story. But, you know, the thing is, we can be, he will win, but we can be won by him right now. Because in Jesus, he comes to us with a welcome, with the offer of forgiveness, a way back into a right relationship with him. That's what he comes with. That's what this table is about. Of course, if we turn that down and insist that we're going to be our own Lord, trusting in our own gods, our dreams, our hopes, then in the end we will be overthrown by him. But it doesn't need to end like that. The living God, the Lord is involved, he's undefeatable, and also, thirdly, the Lord is gracious. He's gracious. He wants the whole earth to know that he's the Lord. He wants the Egyptians to know that. And I think some got there. As you look in the account later on, it says as they went out from Egypt, uh, it says that the the number of people were so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. Israel went out and with them went a number of other people. Who were the other people? Well, they must have been Egyptians who saw that this was the Lord and thought, I'm I'm with them. (laughs) I'm going with them. Just as I guess Egyptians could have taken uh, haven with the Israelites if they'd wanted to. Because he's gracious in providing a safe haven from judgment. At least three times in these nine plagues we're told that the place where the Israelites were was safe. For them and presumably for any Egyptians who wanted to join them. Let's say there's more of that next week. But it's important to realize that Jesus bore judgment in the darkness of those hours on the cross. He was made sin for us. It says that uh, in the Bible that in the cross the powers of evil were disarmed. It says Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. It, you know, the Evil is not ultimately uh, triumphed by, by a whole bunch of plagues now. But on the cross Jesus took it all and defeated it as he proved three days later. He took the judgment And he worked the rescue. Sorry, that's a bit rushed, but it's an amazing story. But let's get to know this God. Let's realize that he's involved, he's undefeatable, and most of all, he is gracious. We're living under governments, aren't we, who treat him like Pharaoh did on the whole. Other gods do appear to rule. This is temporary. He will prevail. Creation is in his hands. Time will one day run out for our world. But until then, we look for those interventions from the king, knowing that he is the undefeatable Lord and that we can point people to his generous welcome into fellowship and friendship with him.
Let's continue to get to know him better as we respond in worship and singing, I think, and coming back to Peter. Thank you, Peter.